0: Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, we're still walking through Paul's letter. You turn there, I'm reminded that the Word tells us that God desires the prayer of His people. Uh, I'm reminded that when Moses met God in the face of a burning bush, God said, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt. Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. I'm reminded that when Isaiah the prophet went and told Hezekiah that his life was coming to an end, Hezekiah rolled over in his bed and prayed to the Lord. And before Isaiah could get out of the courtyard, he said, go back and tell Hezekiah. I have heard his prayer." I'm reminded that Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. It goes on and says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever." May we be a people who open up His Word. And may we be a people who communes with Him in prayer. And we will see God do, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, above and beyond anything we could ask or think. If you found Ephesians chapter 2, let me invite you to stand. We're going to read again from the first ten verses. We're only going to consider this morning verses 8, 9, and 10, but I want to ensure that we keep things in context. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, again, we thank you that we fight our battles on our knees. We thank you that you hear the prayer of your people. We thank you that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And by grace, in your mercy, through your love, you saved us. And that by faith we can now walk this journey that you have prepared before us. Father, I pray you open our hearts and our minds to hear and receive your word. Transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of the message this morning is called, The Cause of Salvation is Christ. This week, and I know you all heard me speak of him before, but one of my favorite preachers from a generation ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached in Europe for, I don't know, 40 or 50 years, I guess, so I listened to his message. I've been listening to almost all of his messages as I've been preaching through these passages, but I listened to his message on this, on this passage, and he quoted, and I'm quoting him from something he said, just a quick phrase. He said, the cause of salvation is Christ the cause of salvation is Christ and as we consider these verses this morning i want us to keep that in mind the cause of salvation the gift of salvation the grace of salvation the faith of salvation the the work of salvation is Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Sometimes we struggle to interpret these verses. The struggle is that oftentimes we see these verses as the, the details of our salvation experience in Christ coming to us and our surrendering to His grace. But in reality, verses 8 and 9 are a summary of everything that Paul has already said in these verses. From verse 1 of chapter 1 to where he is now. When he says, by grace, he means all of that. And then verse 10 becomes a, a transition verse, a link between what God has done and the life that we will live to reflect that. There's three major components of this passage. Grace, faith, and workmanship. Let me read them again just so we can stay familiar. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But beloved, however eternally important those three components are, grace and faith and workmanship, and they are, indeed, they are eternally important. The power of this passage is found in another concept. And that concept is humility. That concept is humility. Paul says, not Of your own doing. Not a result of works. He also affirms that no one may boast. He even goes so far as to say the result of our relationship with Christ. Is that we are his workmanship. He is building us. Let's look at each of these. I'm going to try to take each component individually, but the nature of these verses, it's really more important for us to recognize how they are are interwoven together. Grace begets faith, which begets God's transforming work, which gives birth to our faithful walking in that work. So the first question we ask is, what is grace? What is grace? The simplest definition is grace is God's unmerited favor. All right, what does that mean? Paul has already gone into great detail to help us understand the concept of grace. It began before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Verses 6 through 8 of chapter 1. He has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. He continues this idea in chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. He made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Even in the middle, if you look at chapter 2 verse 5, even in the middle of that verse, Paul seems not to be able to hold his excitement in when he's trying to give us a reasoned explanation of this new life in Christ. He just bursts out in praise and says, by grace, you have been saved. So we return to the question, what is grace? Grace is God making his enemies his children. Romans chapter five, verse six through eleven says: For while we were still weak, and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God chose His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His love, much more shall we be saved. By him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And even more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. We were sinners. We were weak. We were enemies. The Apostle John writes in chapter one of his gospel, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by the will of God. Grace, beloved, grace is God's rich mercy. Grace is God's great love. God, grace is God's immeasurable riches in His kindness. Grace and hear me please. Grace is the evidence that all everything involved with the redemption of mankind. With your redemption and with my redemption. Grace is the evidence that everything involved. It is all of God. And God alone. Salvation is an act of the sovereign God. Whereby he chooses in love. Predestines in Christ. And seals in the holy spirit the redemption of his elect lack of his church based on no merits of the recipient of that grace no merit paul writes to titus chapter 3 he says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the holy spirit who be poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's all of God. But we have to ask why. Why is the act of redemption completely and only a work of God? Paul tells us in verse 9 so that no man may boast. Boasting, or pride, arrogance, is a serious issue for Paul. And the rest of the New Testament, and really all the way back into the Old Testament, the author of Proverbs writes in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, In the pride of his faith, The wicked does not seek God. All his thoughts are there is no God. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Jesus teaching his apostles in Luke chapter 9. Says an argument arose among them his disciples as to which of them was the greatest. The Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their heart, took a child and put him by his side and said, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least of you is the one who is great. Luke chapter 18, Jesus continues this. He told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He tells this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. <coughs> Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For who, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself <coughs> will be exalted. So why is boasting (coughs) such an insult to God? Because as soon as as you and I begin to boast, as soon as you and I begin to boast in our righteousness, our goodness, our capacity, as soon as you and I begin to boast, we nullify the purpose of praise that Paul began this letter with. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Beloved, if I contribute anything to my redemption, if I contribute anything to my redemption, there is no need to bless God. As a matter of fact, I should demand praise from God. If God is limited in any manner until I work, or I act, or I deserve, or I anything even believe, if God is limited, then God is not God. He is not sovereign. He is not just, holy, or righteous. He is a puppet to my whims and my wishes. But beloved, God is very clear. Isaiah 42-8, I am the Lord, he says. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And again in Isaiah 48 verse 11, my glory I will not give to another. Everything God does, he does for his Glory! He creates for His glory. He redeems for His glory. Christ died for His glory. The church exists for His glory. So all boasting is excluded. All pride is abolished. All arrogance and self-centeredness is eliminated. Paul has already decreed up in verse one, chapter, or chapter one, verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse twelve, he says, to the praise of his glory. And if that's not enough, a couple of verses later in fourteen, he says, to the praise of his glory. Everything to the glory of God. So here's where we are walking through this passage. We were dead in our trespasses. And sin but God. By grace. saved you and me. In a manner. That no one can boast. So that leaves a huge question. What about faith? For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not of your doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that any man should boast. So what is faith? Is it our part? Is it the gift of God? Is it what causes God's grace to come upon us? Or does God respond to our faith with grace? Beloved, we're confronted here really with an unanswerable question. The unanswerable question of God's sovereignty and salvation and man's responsibility to exercise faith, to repent and believe. And friends, it is unanswerable. And the Apostle Paul is comfortable in a world of unanswerable. He's already said Uh, Before we get to this passage, he's already told us of the mystery of his will and the immeasurable greatness of his power. Chapter 3, Paul will pray that we know, listen, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's an unknowable mystery. He'll burst forth in in praise in chapter 3, verse 20. Now, To Him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or even think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is a, a holy tension. There are two eternal truths that we must hold equally and fully together. The danger comes when we try to emphasize one over the other. Let me talk about faith first. And then I'll address some potential dangers. Faith is our response to God's saving work. When we were dead, God made us alive. And in that new life, we respond by repenting of our sin... Believing, trusting, surrendering to Jesus Christ as our Redeemer and our Savior. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself me. Hebrews 11.1 one is referred to as the definition of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. But the difficult question is where does that faith come from? Is it generated in us? Or is it gifted to us? By God in His grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 passage you just read For by grace you have been saved Through faith Not of works It is The gift of God But interpreters Differ On what the word it Refers to Does it refer to the grace As the gift of God Does it refer to Faith as the gift of God, or does it refer to the entire salvation experience by grace through faith? I think the answer to that is yes. It is all of the above. God gifts us with grace, a grace that raised us from spiritual death and made us alive together in Christ. The dead have no capacity to exercise faith or hope or repentance or belief or anything else i don't want to be crass or morbid but if we stood out of the cemetery and preached to the tombstones if you just breathe you'll live again they can't and neither can those who are dead In our trespasses and sin. Neither can they live. But God. Gifts life. Gifts grace. Gifts us faith. Gifts us his glory. I use the cemetery example. Because that's what God did. In Ezekiel chapter 37. Listen to the words of the prophet. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley and that valley was full of bones. And he led me around them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. That means they have been dead a long time. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered him, Oh Lord, You know. Then he said to them. Prophesy over these bones. And say to them. O dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold I will cause breath. To enter you and and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you. And will cause flesh to come upon you. And cover you with skin. And put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. Get that picture in your head for just a moment dry bones, as far as he could see. And God said, This is your congregation. Preach to them. So I prophesied as I was commanded, Ezekiel said. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. And there was no breath in them. Then then he, the Lord, said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and save the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. It is only in life, given by the word of God, that we exercise faith. But the Bible is clear. Faith is our responsibility. We receive. We accept God's grace by faith. Faith is trusting fully in the divine power of God to redeem us in the death and resurrection of Christ and to secure us for all of eternity in the Holy Spirit. If we reject faith, If we reject faith, it is entirely our responsibility and we alone bear the consequences. Paul writing to the Thessalonian church about the end of time, the judgment day, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Again, Jesus speaking in John chapter (coughs) 3. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world of people of darkness rather than light. Because their works are evil. Exercising faith in God for redemption in Christ is our responsibility. It is the gift of grace, but our responsibility is to embrace and live by faith. However, I mentioned a few moments ago that there are a couple of dangers that we have to be aware of when trying to rationalize God's sovereignty. And man's responsibility in danger in in redemption. Danger number one is this we become theistic determinists. What that means is that we assume that God knows all and does all, and therefore we have no responsibility, no responsible work or role in what God is doing. So we stop witnessing to the gospel, we stop pursuing missions, we stop making disciples. We stop being disciples. We stop sacrificially giving to the work of the Lord. God has determined and we have nothing to do or responsibility to fulfill. So we stop walking in the good works that God has prepared. That's danger number one. danger number two is that we fully rely on human responsibility. That usually means that our evangelism efforts are marked by emotional pleas and manipulations just to get a decision of faith. God has no role in it. It is all human freedom. Beloved, be be careful of these two things. Be careful of these things. Let's don't, and please I beg you, don't put your faith in faith. Don't put your faith in faith. Faith is not what saves you. You will never have enough faith. God saves. And so make sure that God is the object of our faith. Our faith is not in us. Our faith is not in our ability to have faith. Our faith is in what God has decreed. Secondly, don't fall in love with your faith. Again, God is the only object of our love. If we love our faith, it will fail us. Love God. Trust God. We see both of these dangers today in our churches. Yes, there's exaggerated examples that we could look at, but today in our churches, too often, we flippantly claim that God is in control. So we refuse responsibility for our actions. Or we refuse to invest in the lives of others in our church because God is in control. Or, or on the other side of that, we t- attempt to create a church culture that the world will be comfortable in. So that maybe they can come in here and we can slip a little gospel in, maybe, somewhere along the way. We gather a crowd and we call it a church. Though there is no real gospel. So here's where we need to be. God has ordained the plan of salvation. He has secured the plan of salvation. And he is actively executing the plan of salvation. God chose before the foundation of the world. Jesus died in the history of the world. And the Holy Spirit is converting and convicting us today. That we, God's church, we have a faithful work to be engaged in that plan. Because God, not only has God established the means of salvation in Christ, He has determined the method for how it will be fulfilled. And beloved, that method is you and me. Faithfully, by faith, walking in the good works that God has prepared before us. To walk in them. So look at verse 10 for a second. Chapter 2 verse 10. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in Him. We are God's workmanship. Some have interpreted this as saying. We are God's masterpiece. God is transforming our lives right now. We see a few verses earlier in chapter 2 verse 7 that God is working to show show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That work we are walking in that work we are walking in according to chapter 1 verse 4 is that God is making us holy and blameless before Him. Holy and blameless before Him. Romans 8 29 says, Those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's workmanship is to make you and me, is to make us like Christ in every way. Conformed to his image. And that happens by our faithfully walking in the works that God has prepared for us. James chapter 2, the apostle says, So by faith, or so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith produces works. Some of those works include include loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It includes loving our neighbor as ourselves. It even includes loving our enemies. It includes being spirit-empowered, Word-driven, prayer-saturated witnesses of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul says we are to walk in them. Notice this phrase. He's used it before. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we would walk in them. When Paul told us we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he said you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We were on the broad road that leads to destruction. Paul now is saying we are on the narrow road that leads to life. Paul's going to spend much of the rest of this letter telling us how we walk in Christ's good work. The snapshot of that comes in chapter 4, verse 24, when he says, put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Walk in them. So let's go back to the beginning. Grace begets faith. Which begets God's transforming work. Which begets our faithful walking in good works. So that no man may boast. Romans chapter 3 verse 27 says. Then what becomes of our boasting? Same offer, same words. What becomes of our bo- of our boasting? He says it is excluded. Then he asks, by what kind of law is it excluded? By the law of works? No, he says, by the law of faith. I believe the thrust of Paul's closing words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10 are a warning. He says, We are saved. By grace. Not of our doing. Not of our works. The warning is this, beloved. If we boast, we're lost. If we boast, we're not Christians. I know those words are harsh and stern. But remember, the cause of salvation is Christ and christ alone and that excludes our boasting paul has told us of god's eternal work for our salvation he is telling us about the unity in the body he's going to tell us about the unity between jew and gentile christians he's going to tell us about our life in the church under the leadership of the elders equipping us for the work of ministry he's about to tell us this new life that we are called and empowered by Christ to walk in. He's going to tell us about submitting to one another, to walk in love, to offer ourselves as a fragrant offering of sacrifice. Beloved, we have nothing to boast in. If If this is our doing, our salvation is futile. Paul does offer us in other places something that we should boast in, he says, if you want to boast, boast in this. Galatians chapter 6. For be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Paul says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Faith does not prevent or does not permit boasting. Walking in Christ requires faith. Hebrews 11 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We are saved by God and God alone. God in all three persons of the Trinity. We are saved to exercise faith. Our faith. Our responsibility. Our consequences. If there is no faith... We are still dead in our trespasses and sin. We are still children under wrath. We still face, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and of His glory. Beloved, please hear my plea with you today. God is calling. God is extending grace to you, to you who are dead in your trespasses and sin. Today, He is Through the Holy Spirit. Drawing you to himself. How do I know this? I know this because you are hearing the gospel. You are hearing that Christ died for your sin. And rose for your salvation. You are hearing the plea to be reconciled to God. By faith. By believing. By repenting. You're lost this morning. You are standing at the precipice of eternal life and eternal death. The first words that the gospel writer of Mark recorded of Jesus. Jesus said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There is a sincere urgency in Jesus' words. You hear that urgency in Paul's words as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against him, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen to what he says. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul continues in chapter six, working within them, we appeal to you. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says in a favorable time I listen to you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. Paul says. But now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. God's grace is not in vain. Repent. Believe. Now. There's one final point I want to make this morning. Paul, of course, as he's walking through this passage, is talking about the redemption of God's people. He extends grace through Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit. We respond in faith, trusting in God and walking for His glory, not for our boasting and works, but those things that He has prepared for us. But, beloved, I think, I think we, I think this church, this body of believers right now, I think we are standing very much at the same precipice as a person experiencing God's grace and struggling how to respond in faith. It's an understatement to say we're in the midst of changes. Huge changes. We are, we will struggle with many of these. Many of these changes that are coming over the months and really even over the years. But beloved, let me assure you that God has called us. We know that we know this is the direction God is leading us to walk in. By His grace. But this is the struggle. Will we, by faith, will we walk in the good works that God has prepared for us as a body of believers? Will our dependency on the grace of God, will we be dependent upon the grace and glory of God? Will His mission of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples to glorify him. Will that stay our motivating factor? Today we are heading in the direction that God is leading us. But I know there will be questions and fears and worries. Sometimes there may even be anger and mistrust, and some of us will think we're going too fast, and others of us will think we're moving too slow. This calls for sacrifice, personal sacrifice, the sacrifice of time, the sacrifice of finances, the sacrifice of the gifts and the skills and the equipment that God has given you. This is what all of this calls for. And in the midst of those struggles, let me assure you that it's okay. It's okay. We'll Major change is scary. Sometimes it's painful. But through God's people, He will provide. He will comfort. And He will, through His church, through you and me, He will get us to where He is leading us by grace, through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. This morning I want to close with a prayer from the devotional book, Valley of Vision. I've read some of these in the past. This one is just simply entitled, Faith. So I ask you to bow your head. Allow these words to penetrate your heart and your mind. There's business, if you will, that you need to do with God. That He's calling you to a relationship with Him, a saving relationship. And now is the time. He's calling you to walk by faith in this journey that He's taking you. That now is the time. And may this prayer be our prayer. My God, I bless Thee that Thou hast given me the eye of faith to see Thee as Father, to know Thee as a covenant God, to experience Thy love planted in me. For faith is the grace of union by which I spell out my entitlement to Thee. Faith casts my anchor upward where I trust in Thee and engage Thee to be my Lord. Be pleased to live and move within me, breathing within my prayers, inhabiting my praise, speaking in my words, moving in my action, living in my life, causing me to grow in grace. Thy bounteous goodness has helped me believe, but my faith is weak and wavering. Its light is dim. It steps harder. It's increased slow. It's backsliding frequent. It should scale the heavens, but lies groveling in the dust. Lord, fan this divine spark into a glowing flame. When faith sleeps, my heart becomes an unclean thing. The fountain. Of every of desire. The cage of unclean lusts. All fluttering to escape. The noxious tree of deadly fruit. The open wayside of earthly tares. Lord, awake faith. To put forth its strength. Until all heaven fills my soul. And all impurity is cast out. Father, this morning we pray that you would awake faith to put forth its strength. That you would awake faith by your grace in that person today who does not know you as Savior. That today they would experience your mercy, your goodness, your kindness, your love, your grace and as you make them alive in Christ and seek them with him in the heavenly places, that by faith we and they would repent and believe and that we would walk the path that you have laid before us. Father, for this church, I pray that we would continually walk in your grace. I pray that you would continually fan the flames of faith in this place. And that you would inhabit our prayers. That you would be glorified in our worship. That you would be honored in our love and unity for one with one another and for one another. And Father, as you walk us down this journey. As you walk us to this place of replanting, of rebirthing, of renewal. That the sacrifices we need to make, we would make by faith. And not for the reason of boasting. That we would go where you called us, and we would give what you've called us to give, that we would be who you've called us to be. And that, Father, in everything, we can honor you for your glory in everything we do. Father, for the rest of this morning, the rest of this afternoon, and the rest of this day. I pray we walk in the good works by faith that your grace has prepared beforehand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think there's just